It's good to be with you here tonight. Bright lights actually mean that uh, it's kind of hard to see you out there, but uh, you can see me, which uh, is your Um <clears throat> We're looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. And you see it up on the screen there. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Enter through the gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. One of the greatest fears many Christians have is the fear that we would be accused of being narrow-minded. We seem to worry about that, that we would be too narrow, that when somebody becomes a Christian, they seem to lose breadth and uh, diversity that they might have had before. Uh, the modern person says, I want to be a person of the world. I want to be in touch with all of the world. And you Christians, you're just narrow in your thinking. And we can very easily fall into the trap of being more worried about this. We don't mind if people say wrong or challenge us, but we don't want to be thought of as narrow-minded, as individuals and as the Church of England. We want to be inclusive. Ah, yes. We're dealing with these sorts of issues at the moment in our national church, aren't we? Our archbishops wrestling with these. Is the sound coming and going? Um, uh, I don't know what I can do about that, but uh, I'll see if we... No, I'll stick to this and see how it goes, Stephen. See how we go. <coughs> I, I think I probably do need to take that. It's... No, it's okay. Everything's Excuse me while I get dressed. It's got caught on my bra. No, I didn't. <laughs> I meant my hearing aid. Is this on, Stephen? One, two. Okay. Right. Um, well, that was unrehearsed. And <clears throat> so, what am I saying? The fear that we might be seen as narrow-minded. Well, why is this subject presented to us tonight? Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Why on earth does the Lord of all creation choose these words to say to us, to say to his church? What is he telling us? Well, there's a temptation that we have 
to be broad and broader than he would have ever wanted us to be. There's a, a fable of Aesop about a little frog who is in the field and he sees a great big ox and he thinks, oh, I'd love to be big and broad like that. Well, how can I become big and influential, big and powerful, wide and strong? Oh, I know what I'll do. And he puffs himself up and he gets broader and broader and broader. And eventually, he blows himself up so much that he destroys himself. And we as Christians can try and become so broad, so inclusive, that we land up losing our distinctiveness, losing who we are called to be as Christians. As you know, I grew up in South Africa, went to university in South Africa. When I got to university, I was a Christian. And there was this broad Christian movement called the University Christian Movement. They were the ones that everybody on campus knew about. And I joined the little Christian union. We were the narrow, so-called narrow, so-called uh, limited group. And we had to grapple with, do we become broad and wide and influential the way that the UCM was on campus? And I was challenged to be biblical and to think Christianly and to think about whether this UCM really was correct. And the more I thought, and as others helped me, I realized that this was not the way to go. What happened to SEM? It grew bigger and bigger like that frog and blew itself out of existence. It got influenced by uh, the Black Power Movement, Steve Biko, and others. Ceased to exist. There is no UCM in South Africa today. You maybe know similar stories. We can lose our distinctiveness, lose our gospel. Well, what is Jesus saying? He says we've got to enter through the narrow gate. For those of you uh, who were brought up in the old Bible, you may remember it was called the straight gate. Yeah? Does that ring bells with some of you? No? Well, all throughout his version, said, enter through the straight gate. And I thought, well, that's very strange. Why the straight gate? Is it crooked? Get the straight? No, it's nothing to do with that. It's everything to do with uh, the ancient meaning uh, of our word narrow. Is think of the Straits of Magellan, the Straits of Gibraltar. They're narrow passages. So enter through the narrow passage. Think of a wide ocean. It narrows down through the strait. And Jesus says, go through the straight gate, the narrow gate, the small gate. What is he choosing this word for? He's telling us this for our good. There is something we will get from this that is going to be massively beneficial if we get what he's really trying to say to us. But first of all, then, let's look at Jesus himself. Was Jesus broad and wide? No, he was absolutely single-minded and focused. What was Jesus concerned about in every situation and circumstance? He was concerned 
about the salvation of souls, the salvation of individuals, the eternal life of each individual that he spoke to. One by one by one, individually, one at a time, even when speaking to a crowd, he was speaking to individuals. Jesus himself was single-minded, narrow-minded, you might say, but not in the negative sense. He contested those who were narrow-minded, the Pharisees and Sadducees, who limited the gospel to just a bunch of laws, do's and don'ts. They were the narrow-minded ones in the wrong sense of the word. And we as Christians need to not be narrow-minded in the wrong sense of the word, in the pharisaical sense of the word. Uh, there's a lovely story I heard. I wasn't present with some English-speaking evangelicals and some Afrikaans-speaking evangelicals. They got together, and um, their mutual narrow-mindedness was shown in the fact that the uh, Afrikaners were horrified at the English who were all playing sport on Sunday, and they would not play sport on a Sunday at that time. But the English were horrified at the Afrikaners who were cheerfully smoking and drinking alcohol. And those, that was sort of a narrowness of the gospel, a pharisaic, limited version. The full gospel that Jesus wanted us to focus on, and which he himself focused on, is shown in his teaching. Think of him giving the teaching uh, out in the fields. And he sees somebody plowing his fields, and he starts to say, Ah! Plow, a, a, a sower sows his seeds. Now, does he launch into uh, an agricultural exposition? Jesus knew, had vast knowledge, he could have. But no, he teaches about the soils that will be responsive to the word of God. That's his focus. Think about him when he comes to some trees, apple trees, and good trees that bear fruit. And Will's first sermon here in this church was on the good trees and the bad trees. I can remember that. And he focuses on the response to the, the word of God, uh, 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 cutting back those trees so they may be fruitful. Uh, that was his focus. The spirituality, the soul, he used these different things. Instead of giving a lecture on horticulture, he uses these things to speak to the individual soul. But you know, it wasn't just the soul in the sense that the Greek speaker used to speak philosophically about the soul. Jesus was meeting not just the intellectual side, but the whole person. That's who he was concerned about. Think of the story of when Jesus met a woman at the well in Sychar. You remember the story, many of you. He's tired. The disciples have gone into the village. He asks the woman for a drink. How is it you, a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan? And he has a little bit of engagement there. If you knew who would give you the gift of life, water that will lead to life. And so eventually she comes and says, sir, give me this. And Jesus then moves from the general discussion that he's having to say to her at a very personal level, go and call your husband. I have no husband. You're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. He's moving from general discussion to something very specific about her. He's dealing with her as an individual. She then backs off a bit and says, oh, sir, you, you seem to say that you Jews should worship in this place, and we Samaritans 
and she wants to go into a more generalized sort of discussion. And Jesus focuses in again and says, no, those whom God is seeking must worship him in spirit and in truth. She perceives that he's a prophet. He deals with her personally. And then she goes away and says, could this be the Messiah? Because Jesus has said to her, I who speak to you am he, am the Messiah. Because she's asked, when the Messiah comes, he will show us everything. Jesus was single-minded. He wanted to bring the truth of himself, his Messiahship, to the truth of this person. That was his single-minded aim. Think also of this quote, because uh, I think it's very relevant. Uh, Lord Melbourne, uh, back in 1837, said, uh, when discussing about uh, the soul um, and the fact that it's a personal message that Jesus gives, he's, Lord Melbourne says, things have come to a pretty pass when religion is allowed to invade the private life. <laughs> he wants generalized religion, religion that will operate when there's a coronation or a funeral or a, a wedding. Not personal. He can't stand that thought. It's okay for state age occasions, but it's insufferable if it becomes personal and individual. And so he objected to it, as do many today. And yet the gospel is intensely personal. Our Lord was always interested in the individual, in the personal, not in the idea of the soul. And so we find that Jesus is operating in his teaching in a very narrow way. But it's for the good of each person that he does that. Enter through the narrow door. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. But come with me and look at Jesus as we see him in the whole of Scripture, the whole message of the Bible. The Bible is not an encyclopedia covering every issue. Oh, yes, it deals with creation. It deals with sin. It answers many questions. It has some history and geography and battles and wars and commands. But ultimately, the Bible is the story of God's salvation being presented through the Jews and then finally through a limited group of Jews who come back from exile. And then it focuses down like an ocean becomes narrow in the straits. So the Bible focuses and comes closer and closer and then who does it focus on? One person, Jesus. The narrow gate. It's narrowed down to a one place, Bethlehem, to the birth of the Messiah. Yes, we know that. But this is God. This is the amazing Lord, creator of all. Come down into that small baby at Bethlehem. And he lives in a limited culture, in a limited place, narrow life. And then for three years, he preaches and leads the way. And then follow me as he comes to the end of his life. He's confined in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested. 
He's narrowed down even more. Why? He's bound. Next, he's taken and can't move anymore because he's nailed to the cross. And finally, the door narrows and he is killed. The narrow way. But he is killed and this was the goal of his life. To yield his life that we might find the gate to life. Jesus goes through that and then bursts forth into glorious light, risen and giving immortality to all who will trust in him. Jesus' life and teaching show the narrow way. So, as we are here tonight and we think about salvation and we think about what Jesus is teaching us, small is the gate and narrow is the road. It's not the broad road. What would Jesus say about the broad road? He says these strong words that you can see. Wide is the gate. Anybody can go through. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Each of us is on one road or the other. We're either on the narrow road or we're on the broad road. What does the narrow road lead to? It leads to life and only a few find it. We should not be surprised that there are not many, 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 many people on the narrow road. Only a few find it. So as we are here tonight and we think of this broad road leading to destruction, leading to despair, leading to no life of the future, eternal death. Which road are we on? We're either on one or the other. Maybe some of you have entered through the narrow gate and you rejoice in that and are on the narrow way. I know you are. But maybe some here tonight who say, you know, I've never actually entered in through the narrow gate. How should I do that? And how can we come back to the narrowness if we've become a little bit distracted? We've lost our way a bit. Well, the way is quite simple. It's a way of saying, sorry, I've been trying to please others. I've been trying to do everything my way. I've been going on the broad road. I want to enter through the narrow gate, through your death on the cross for me. And by simply praying, saying, Lord, I want to enter. You ask me to enter through the narrow gate. I want to enter tonight. I want to take that step. Or I want to retake it. I want to recommit myself to the narrow way. Isn't it wonderful that we do have a personal and a private religion, unlike Lord Melbourne, that we can know God personally, and he wants that for each one of us. Let's pray.
O Lord Jesus, we rejoice tonight in the narrow way. We rejoice that the narrow road leads to life, life in all its fullness, life with true freedom, true diversity. O Lord, we thank you that you have called us into this life. And for us, we come again, Lord, to your cross, and we thank you that you went through the narrow gate to open up the way to life and life eternal. Lord, we thank you. We come once again, as our first song said, come, we come, not just to worship you, but to submit again to you and to receive you, whether for the first time or the hundredth time, to receive you as our personal Messiah and Lord. We thank you. Amen. <laughs>